Welcome to Mana Screwed. This week, Jack is, I believe, exploring some sort of castle crapola like that. This week, we couldn't replace Jack with just one person. We had to replace him with two people. One, his host from Horde Nations. You know him as Chris. Say hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? And the man who is featured in my interview this week with Kelly Reed on the Men of Magic. Corbin, say hello. Hey, guys. And the reason why we do this whole stinking show. The man who came up with it and is now working his way to get back on the Pro Tour, it's Tangent. What is up, everyone? And uh, Oh, so so I'm the reason why not the BB. I thought the BB was going to be joining us. No, he's, he's taking another week off again this week. You know, I'm just, Oh, okay. He's just cruising around doing whatever he does all the time. Oh, so, okay. So we have wonderful questions to answer this week, and we're going to start with the first one right away. Uh, Corbin, why don't you read the first one right away? Uh, yeah, the first question we've got is, how uh, do we best conduct a fantasy draft for the Magic Pro Tour and or Grand Prix? Can it be programmed into the website easily? So, I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good question. There's not a lot. Uh, it's a very fun event when you do fantasy drafts for the uh, for the tournaments. I think as as a player of all fantasy sports, NHL, NBA, even baseball from time to time, I would love to try this. Uh, just to see who would go first overall would be fun. Tangent? Yeah, I, you know, I, we, we kind of did our own draft um, uh, not that long ago, and it was pretty fun to do. I don't know if it'll ever be anything where you're going to see websites up dedicated to fantasy drafting magic players, but who knows? Well, I think it's possible. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I think I'm just going to say, I've heard there's offshore paying for magic games a lot of times, so who knows? That would definitely be scary about offshore magic betting. Talk about betting on the impossible. Um, it's a- <laughs> It's always interesting, and I'm sure it's something you can do. The only problem you have with this in general is the same problem you have with most uh, Grand Prix and stuff like that. The Pro Tour, it's easier because you know who's coming. Mm-hmm. But with GPs, a lot of times, you don't know who's coming. And it's not like you can just sit there and go, okay, I'm... Like, if you would have taken Jerry T in the last three Grand Prix, you'd have come up with zero. Yeah, yeah. and he, I don't even think he played in the last couple of Star Cities, did he? Uh, no, he played. He's just he's scooping the people now. Oh, because he's got his yeah, level, whatever level, it is. Level eight now, so. Yeah, he's scooping the people to get other people up to the same level. But uh, he tweeted this week that uh, he's done scooping. He's he wants to play now. So yeah. I mean, it is possible. I think. Really, what you got to do with that is basically you have to have the same set of people, like say you have a dedicated group of ten. And just have them start at the maybe just start at each tournament and just draft maybe five people each, keep accumulating the score, and what you can do is you can post it on the website, like make an update sheet of saying, Oh, uh Tangent had Paolo and Paolo finished fourteenth at Grand Prix Dallas. So he gets twenty points for that. So at least people can be updated with that and see how their picks change as events go. Because right. with legacy Really, how many of the regular pros do you want to pick when every one of them says they don't test legacy? Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, the only other approach I can see, and it's probably way too labor-intensive, is get someone to put a list on a website after registration, and then people run on, pick their teams for that particular event, and you score it on an event-by-event -event basis. Yeah, that would be awesome if we had someone there to do that. That's the thing. You'd have to have someone at the event to give you the actual list. Which or even if you could, yeah, I mean, could you pull it from the DCI tournament planner thingy, I wonder? I'm not 100% sure on that. I'm, there's got to be something out there, but unfortunately, I have a feeling the people that we would ask for it would give us all the same kind of strange looks of why would we do that. Yeah, it depends. Like, uh, you know, theoretically, you could get the, the player list from the website, but it just depends when they post the coverage. So it, it works best for the Pro Tour, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's a little less of a crapshoot than a Grand Prix is. Yeah, because you know people are going to show up at the Pro Tour because the money's just that doggone good. Yeah, and they, you know, the pros, they brew a lot more for the Pro Tour than they do a Grand Prix, you know, so you, it, it makes it a little better than, a little, little more entertaining, I think, to pick from. So let's go to the next one. Go ahead, Chris. Okay, so why isn't the reserved list a selectable option in Gatherer when you're searching? Seems like uh, that list should be available for selection and for convenience, really. I mean... I wonder if this is because Wizards doesn't want to draw attention to it. That's, uh, that's a very valid point. I think it's probably more likely that they just, like, I can just see that slipping through the cracks when they do Gatherer, you know, because that's not really what, you know, what Gatherer exists for. But it would be pretty interesting to have it, have it as an option. There's a definite, like you said, a liability out there that if all suddenly there's a card that's listed in Gatherer that someone could fortake that that would be off the reserve list. You know, and sure it's a selectable option, but you don't want if it's gone from if it's gone from competitive competition, there's a reason why they don't have it on there. So I don't know if that's a viable answer or not, but that's at least my opinion on it. Okay, the next... Is, is that something, real quick, is that something that's been an issue? I mean, have people been wondering about that? I've never even really thought about it, so... Well, there there have been a couple people that have mumbled about it in the past, but it is something that is... I mean, it's a reasonable question to ask. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I was just wondering, like, if that came from somewhere, or if like, we were, like, grasping for something, you know what I mean? No, no, that was so. from Chris. That was from Chris. Okay, okay, cool. Yes, yes, yes. All right, I mean, we... Go ahead. I was just going to say, the reserve list seems to be getting a bit more attention right now. People keep talking about it. Uh, Aaron Forsyth has mentioned it on Twitter a few times. Marrow said on his uh, Tumblr account that nobody working at Wizards right now had anything to do with establishing the reserve list, and everybody who's there wants to get rid of it. So it seems like it's been popping up again recently, and I'm wondering if that could have prompted the question. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm really wondering what their plans are because, and this is a side subject, I brought it up on um, my interview with, with Kelly about what would happen to the prices of things if Stoneforge Mystic got banned. Hmm. How, how much would prices on all that equipment go down if the fact that Stoneforge Mystic got banned? I think if you start off by looking at what sort of body of mind was before Coreblade was anything. I mean, it was what, eight bucks, nine bucks? Yeah, I think so. 
I mean, the thing is... pretty reasonable. It, it would kill the swords in standard, but, like, the, um... The swords, like, even if if uh, Mystic was banned in Legacy, like, all the swords would still, like, gain value as we go through, because they're still, like, they go in generally everyone's EDH deck, you know, they're very popular among casual players, which, uh, you know, a lot of people don't think about it, drives the market a lot more than people give it credit for. Uh, if you look at cards like Mind Funeral, it's just a random uncommon from a lower reborn that mills, and uh, casual players like mills, so that's like a $2 uncommon that nobody knows about. So the price of the swords wouldn't be what it is, obviously now, but it's not like they would just, you know, fall off the end, fall off the uh, the map either. Okay, Corbin, I have one for you since I'm traveling all over the place with my subjects. Okay. I have a Pyromancer's Ascension deck that features Mind Funeral in it. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that would be that would be fun. That would be a good time. That is that's the definition of playing this card to the wrong level. It, it, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's watching too much Mike, or reading too many Mike Flores articles and going, well, really, I could do this and this and this with it. Yeah, yeah it's pretty evil. But, uh, Chris, what, can, you, what you else can, do you... Oh, go ahead, Gordon, sorry. They've got 20, 22 land in their deck. You hit them for four, they've got some in play. You don't only have to copy it, like, twice to win the game. That could be so good. That's the point. <laughs> that's the point. Uh, uh Chris, I, I, I think I might have missed what you said about Stormforge Mystic being banned. Well, I was just saying, like, the swords would um, would drop to what they were pre-Callblade. But I don't... I, the only thing I think is, if Callblade drops off the face of the earth, which is what would happen if Stoneforge got banned, would then... Would the White Weenie quest start to be playable again, or would you see swords being run in that? Which might... I mean, it's still going to drop, but would it keep it around the 10-15 level instead of the 8-7 or 8 level. Wasn't the White Weenie Quest still using the Stoneforge Mystic Isle? I mean, wasn't it kind of just like that? The only way it works is with both? I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it'd be really, they'd be really pushing their luck if they were just just banking totally on the quest. I, I, I don't know if, I, if I'm remembering it correctly because I haven't seen that deck in a little while. Yeah, well, it relies uh, on sure the, it the zero drops and the one drops, and then hopefully hitting the counters to get the, the Argentum armor or the sword out or whatever they wanted to do with it. That's what they were... Right, but wasn't Stoneforge just like a backup option for most of those decks, though? It might have been. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it might have been. Right, well, yeah, because, I mean, you don't want to count on getting your quest. If you don't have your quest in, on, turn, on turn one, basically... You might as well just concede if you if you don't even have a stone forge in there. Well, it is kind of scary to see how that deck works. I mean, the only time I've ever seen that deck pseudo work, and that's played with Legacy. That's because in Legacy, there's so many different options to make that deck just go ballistic. And unlike now, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to work, and it seems to be very scattered at best. Well, I mean, it uh. The, the last we saw, the green-white version, top-aided world. So, like, it, it's a really good deck if you're going to run well and draw your quests every game, and otherwise it's not so good. Yeah, but that's the whole key. You have to have quests right. every time, and it's a four of them. It's not like you have 12 of them in the deck. That's, right. that's the problem. So I don't, know, I don't know personally why you would run 
the right now the white weenie version over the green white version because the green white version at least allows you to to play Pawnee Shaman and Vince Vines. Okay. Um, so that that it gave it a lot more resiliency. Now I don't know. Now on a white might be viable with the new cards coming in uh, to to have a reasonable backup. Hold on, I'm trying to add him back in. That's yeah, fine. This seems to be the problem with him driving along with this is that we lose him. Although he texted me and said he was on. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic uh, voice message system. All right. Well, we'll figure it out. The next question, which is kind of difficult to answer, and uh, this is something that Chris has been working on, the next MTG Cast Live event is set for the PTQ in Denver in early June. How to improve the quality from the previous attempt? Well, I watched it last time, and, and they're they're trying to do the same thing that Good Games Live does with their coverage. Mm-hmm. And, and it's difficult because you don't have the same hosts that you have for Good Games Live. And also, since it's the beginning, you know, you have the molecular camera angles and stuff like that. I still think it's very difficult for Good Games Live to do what they do right now. I mean, uh, Rashad just is crazy with the hours he puts in between his regular job and this job to have... I don't know, I see it very difficult to compete in that market. But that's just me. Right, yeah. And they, they do a... You know, Gigi's Live does such a good job as it is. They've got that pretty worked out, and they went through their, their you know, uh, growing pains to get it where it is now. So, you know, trying to break into that is going to be difficult. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a worthwhile effort if you, you know, if you have the people who are willing to put in the time to make it work. I sometimes feel like I'm the only person in the magic world that doesn't like the coverage levels that we're getting. I, I took a fairly lengthy break from the game, and when I'm watching the coverage now, I can't pick out 90% of the cards on the screen. Yes, yeah, the commentators. When, when it was on uh, ESPN2, the camera work they had was awesome, but they didn't have anything else figured out. What I don't understand is if poker can figure it out, why can't Magic? The, the two should not be fundamentally different. In fact, it should be easier to cover Magic because the hands aren't face down on the, on the table. Yes, but here's the thing. They're constantly shuffling their cards. You well, know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And, they're, and they, they don't keep them still. If you got the players to commit to keep their hands still so a camera could look at it, it would be a lot easier. And you're also holding two cards in poker where you're holding seven, sometimes in magic. It's, it's that, that's part hand. of it. You're going. Even, sorry, even the stuff in play is difficult to see. And I mean, Rashad does a great job on the technical side of things, and the guy is a workhorse. But for commentators, between SCG Live and GG's Live, there might be two that I can listen to without wanting to tear my hair out. I agree. I, the, some of the commentators, I don't want to name names, but some of them are, are not... Very good at, at at commentating. They they know the game very well, but they're not good at holding your attention. And I'm I adding Tanja back in quick because I know he'll comment on this. <laughs> so hold on. Yeah. Again, we're trying to add Tanja. He's having problems on the road. All right. Well, there we go. Okay, we were talking about um, 
how to make uh, MTG Cast Live better for their next PTQ in Denver that they're going to be a part of. It's spun off into SCG Live or GG's Live, and the fact that Chris brought up a very good point. Chris, bring that comment up to Tangent and then let him respond to it. Uh, the main point behind it was that, apart from the camera angles, is that the commentators, they don't have that presence. I can't listen to them. There might be two that I could listen to that don't drive me nuts. And I think if MTG Cast Live wants to carve out a niche, that is the angle to attack. That's an awesome point. I agree. I think it would be really good because MTG Cast has some really good personalities out there to have some people voices that are already recognized and, you know, appreciated and be able to utilize that as long as, you know, we could, like, paste some sort of picture over their face so that no one sees them. <laughs> okay. Faces okay. made for radio. Well, wait, now you guys have brought that up. Now you've opened that can of worms. <laughs> if, if we're putting this together, just based on what we know on MTG Cast. Who would we be bringing in to go into the booth? Who would be the color man, and who would be your point of person of knowledge? Okay, well, my color man, uh, I'd, I'd have to go with Jay Boosh. Boosh. The, the guy, he, he is color. He, he's a walking ball of color. He does know the game, but when things get a bit slow and you've got a call blade mirror... He's the kind of guy who can keep people listening and not say, oh, there's another Gideon, that's going to stop another attack. He can keep people interested. For the play-by-play, that's a bit tougher because you need someone who, who is incredibly knowledgeable but can still cut away to, to random stats. Uh, well, Robert, I think you might be right up there, buddy. Oh, no, I tried it, man. It's tough. <laughs> I got one I think would be pretty good for that, man. Ooh. Ryan. Yes. Yes. I think Ryan would be very good for that. But I think if you're going to put Ryan in the booth, it's a misplay not to put Marshall next to him. I think I think it would be unless you were just. I mean, they can't Joe survives without you know without Joe, and you know there. It just depends. Uh, I think it would be a mistake, but Ryan still. It depends on if they would even want to be in there together. You know. Just like you can say the same thing about Boosh, like Boosh is going to be better with, with you know, KYT and Mac and Smitty. So it's it just depends. I mean, we could say, well, we could just take one of the best podcasts and just put them all in there. Would you seriously want Smitty in the booth doing play-by-play? Seriously? <laughs> man, I don't know, man. I just hate Valakut. Can somebody take that? Like, Valakut should be bad, man. I don't know. Like, maybe I'm wrong. Like, whatever. Like, touching my whatever. Why aren't you playing yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, have an, I have an idea. I'm going to throw this out at you guys for uh, something that GG's Live doesn't do. Okay, if you compare it to, a, like, a broadcast team, you know, at a sporting event, you have, uh, you know, you have your play-by-play, you have your color, and then you have a sideline reporter. Oh, yeah. What would it be like if, in between games of a match, you pulled the players aside, asked them about their thoughts on the first game, asked them, you know, what their sideboarding plan is uh, before they sat down to play game two? What do you guys think about that? If, if the ref, if if the group would allow the time extensions for this, I could see that being possible. 
I have suggested in another interview I did this week, blah, 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 uh, with Glenn Jones that they do Friday, like, pregame coverage. And so you get Jerry Thompson that goes to an SCG event, have him talk about the changes he's made to his deck, and then when his match is over with, before he comes into the booth, you pop on the coverage of him talking for five minutes about his deck, then you cut back to the SCG live coverage, and there he's sitting in the booth. I've got a better idea, man. We corner these guys when they're going in to take a piss, right? <laughs> and we follow them in there, and then we cover that. There you go. That's perfect coverage. Is that bathroom cam? <laughs> I'm just kidding, dude. The other, the, and, and getting back to your point about what, what the problem is with the what the difference that ESPN had over SCG Live or MTG Cast is the fact that their cameras are superior. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more money yeah. coming from ESPN to cover an event. Like SCG Live has a they have a pretty good uh, setup and they have a a lot of money and equipment. Yes, uh, but the camera the camera itself that they use. You know, it is not anywhere near the quality you would get in a studio or in an ESPN production. No, and, and and Rashad basically makes nothing on doing this. I mean, it's not like he's doing SCG Live and rolling in the money over it. It's a break-even proposition. You know, what people forget is is there's he has to pay for the trips, he has to pay for hotel, and then his equipment that he packs to take with him. You, everybody knows how much airlines charge for baggage. Yep. I, when I was carrying his stuff, believe me, it was heavy, it was huge, and I can guarantee you that was not cheap. So right. that's the biggest problem I think you have right there. I mean, it would be... I think if you've got players to cooperate with the coverage better... I think that's the other problem, and I know this is a bad thing to say because, you know, they're always trying to smile or whatever and do their thing. They don't let you see their cards. They're, like I said before, they're doing the shuffle thing or they're, you know, keeping it flipped down. What they need to do is they need to cooperate and just basically, you know, sit with their hand on the side so you can see it. So Rashad can cut to that camera and say, look at the hand. But it's very hard yeah, to... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just something that would have to be changed. I mean, it wasn't like, in, you know, they do that in poker. So, it's, I mean, yeah. if it was something where the coverage needed to see it and that was what the players knew ahead of time, then they would do that. Yeah, and, and I've talked about this before with you guys, but, like, just magic video coverage right now, as is, it's really just in the beginning stages. I mean, you know, they've been figuring out all this on SGG Live and improving it over, what, the last two years? So there's a long way to go, and, you know, for, for the improvements that, you know, can be made from that, what they have done is they forced Wizards to elevate their level of coverage uh, that they just recently announced. They're going to be doing more video coverage of Pro Tours and uh, things like that. So, you know, they've done a really good job in, in forcing Wizards to step up and uh, increase the quality of their, their coverage as well. So, Did any of you see the actual coverage when ESPN had tournaments on? Oh, yeah, I did. Briefly. I mean, was it good? I mean, was there things that, that they should be taking from that? I, I don't know how the coverage was. I didn't get to see it, so. Go well, ahead, Chris. Yeah, like, the, the, the video production was amazing, as you'd expect. 
their commentary team, I think Randy Bueller was on it. Yes, but he was the only one that was good. Well, if you can get past the fact that he looks and sounds completely incongruous. Yes, (laughs) but his knowledge. Oh, he's unbelievable. He's, He's in the top five minds to ever play the game, I think. Um, yeah, was I assumed that they were probably, that the coverage might need to be improved, but I was thinking, because I heard that the thing wasn't very good, but I was wondering, like, did they have camera angles down? Did they show hands? Did, you know, things like that. The camera angles were good. What they did is they had more cameras, so you could get different angles, kind of, you saw more expression in the matches, they did a lot of more editing. That's the thing, because it was taped. You know, unlike now, where everything is live, you know, it's very hard. Well, we, we could do that, man, and we could have, like, the mic long cam, right? It's pointed at your lap, so that way if anyone tries to, you know. <laughs> I, I find it, wasn't his card, like, he won an invitation, or didn't his card get named Root Water Thief? <laughs> I, I think so. Isn't that great? Um, I was watching, actually, this this kind of related, um, I was watching a video online, and it was a legacy video that showed some crazy deck. There was a comment on MTG Cast that led me to it. It was all the commentary was in Spanish, and it was obviously a taped video. But whenever a card was played, they'd flash a zoomed-in version of that card up on half the screen. Hmm. I think yeah. that's a great idea, man. And and you might even be able to do that digitally without necessarily taking a picture, too. I mean, if, if you had someone there that was working with those pictures, I, I don't know if that's possible or not, but I would think it would be. Well, it should certainly be possible when, when you put the uh, the clips up after the event. Oh, for sure, yeah. Right, and I just thought about that. That's the other thing that ESPN, I'm not sure, did they, they weren't live, I assume, when they were covering no. Right, so they get to they get to go back in after everything and and pull it all up, whereas like SCG Live is doing it uh doing it all live and it's just a completely different ball game. Now I know you guys said this weekend or said that most of the people you cannot stand. One of the people I really liked, I watched last weekend's coverage, and I think they found their person. I just think they had GFABs in the wrong seat. He was doing lead, where GFABs needs to be doing just color. Amen. And if you had him at color, and this is where it got back to, you need that point person to kind of guide it, where right now the only two people I think that could do it is either Joey or, um, oh, man, trying to blank, uh, Gavin. Those are the only two people that I think that could guide GFABs in that position. I'm going to throw out a couple of names. Uh, Unfortunately, it would mean that they wouldn't be playing in the event, but I would love to see Chapin. Yeah, you know, he's, you know, I don't think he would do that only because I think what he likes doing, and he has a lot of fun with it, is just being able to come in the booth on his own time. I don't know if he wants to commit to two days of it. You know? And the other one I'd love to see is Sam Stoddard. Hmm. That guy has on Twitter constantly 
impressed me with the way he puts his ideas across in 140 characters or less. He's he's brilliant, for want of a better word. And his his podcast is quality, too. I think he could definitely pull that off, and he is a complete straight man to play off G-Fabs and his, his stand-up comedy chops, right? Yes, and that's the one thing, is that he... I mean, he did really well, and I, and and there's nothing wrong with Jacob. I think Jacob is, is good at what he does, but man, it was all Gerard all the time, and he carried the whole thing. It was really amazing to see. We've seen our issues on SCG Live with people. Literally, it was to the point where I think they were going to strangle each other, because <laughs> uh, you can't you can't put a person at lead and a person at color, and the person at lead is asking the person color relative magic questions, and they don't have an answer for it. You know what I'm saying? You can't keep yeah. you can't keep pressing your color man on strategy if he's not tuned to the strategy that the event's at. You know what I'm saying? It'd be like if you put me on the color position and started drilling me about legacy during a legacy event. <laughs> I'd be like, um, yeah, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, I would love to help out MTG Cast with something like that. Maybe, and this is this is another idea, right? Where you could um, have like one or maybe two regulars, and then bounce around podcasters from different shows, you know, for the for like a third person or whatever, and that way. Kind of, I mean, since it is a community thing, I mean, MTG cast isn't just one podcast, so everyone could possibly be a part of that. Yeah, I, I think I think Jay Bush and I ought to go into a booth together. Be like the last one living. <laughs> <laughs> last man standing, Jay Bush and me. No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> I just think it would be there would be some definite interesting combinations you could put together. Yeah. I, I think the one person who ironically needs to be who would be a great lead in the booth and this is Mr. Stock would not be a great lead. No, 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 no. I think Tom needs to do it. Oh, that would be great, man, for sure. Put Tom has in, the voice. Put, put him in the booth, let him let him just talk. Cause I, 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 when I picture Tom, and this is only this is a baseball reference, is I picture Bob Euchre in the booth, where he's just talking away, telling you what's happening, sharing some stories, and then lets his color man basically fill in all the details. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that the majority of the great commentators in professional sports normally have never played the game at the highest level. That's very true. You don't have to know everything about the ins and outs of the strategy. That's what your color man is for. Your lead man has to be able to describe what's going on and ask the right questions. Well, I guess the only thing you'd have to wonder about Tom is, is he going to be too easily distracted by oozes? (laughs) 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 And it can't be at a tournament where Conley's at because, you know, he'll be asking, so Conley, tell me about the baby powder. How do you feel? Yeah. How about blue waffles? Yes, how about blue waffles, Conley? Oh man, yes, that would be bad. Oh, that, that is just that is so typical of him. Um, let's go to the next one, Corbin. Yeah, let me pull this up. Let's see here. All right, 
Wizards posted information about the 2011 Community Cup, a new annual event which brings members of the NTGO community to Wizards' offices to face off with staff in a multi-day challenge. When will someone from the podcasting universe be a part of this? I can make that answer as soon as one of the podcasters can get big enough to become outside of the podcasting universe. One of the problems that we have is is we have the podcasting universe and the Twitter universe. The problem is is the rest of the people that vote on it have a very small knowledge of who we are. Right. So I'm assuming you mean podcasting like solely podcasters because Kevin's been in it before and he, he started, I mean... His popularity basically began on Monday Night Magic, more or less. Or is there someone that you that you're referring to? Like, are you just saying like it'd be cool to have, you know, Ryan in the in the tournament? Or this is another Chris question that was brought up. So, uh, Atwell, and I think he might be referring to. He could be referring to anybody. He could be referring to anyone that does a podcast on there because we have different personalities that would be effective in that situation. I think the key to this is that it's it's about MTGO specifically. It's not just service to the magic community. And of all the podcasts that we do on, on MTG cast, the two that immediately spring to mind for me are Freed from the Real and Limited Resources. Yep. And right. Freed from the Real, well, I mean, the, the cup is now named after the former host of Freed from the Real, who we tragically lost earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but Marshall and Ryan, as far as I know, have both been nominated for this. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they have, yeah, because there's so many. I mean, they put out the uh, request and said, you know, I w- you know, we definitely would be down for it if anyone wants to nominate us. And as far as as far as far Eric goes, you know, I just found out, was well, yesterday or the day before, that this happened with with Eric, and uh, I was pretty blown away by it. I, I really want to put my condolences out there to his family because I've, I've been kind of a friend of his for a while and even podcasted with him and I never heard about it because of my disappearance from the magic scene until just a couple of days ago. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, the Pure MTGO plan and the website and free from the real and the limited resources guys are definitely all big time in, on Magic Online. I play almost exclusively on Magic Online. But uh, I know, like, Smitty does a ton of work on Magic Online. There's a lot of us out there in the podcast community to play on Magic Online. I think even, uh, was it, is it Adina from uh, from the the Whores in Motion podcast? <laughs> uh, that they, uh, she, she plays a lot of Magic Online, too. So Yeah, so does that Chris guy who hosts it. I don't know where he's Yeah, that Chris that. guy. I know. He's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how dare they let people do that? You know what? I, just now thinking of that, the best way to do it would be is if we got one one person that we could kind of universally agree on. Like, let's say this year we thought it was Ryan. And then every podcast would go out there and promote to go vote for him. Didn't I read somewhere that this isn't based on votes, that Wizards chooses the team? Well, You're right, but you do, but you do put the uh, the reasons out there for them. So if you, I, I'm sure if you got enough people writing in saying, "Hey, this is the reason," and if you had enough of a backing, because I, you know, I mean, 
whoever's at Wizards, I mean, how much research are they really doing for every single name that they that they get? You know, it might be like, oh, you know, I've never heard of him. You know, when in reality, he could be really huge in the community, and maybe Wizards just hasn't heard of him yet. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on. Um, Chris. Yes, sir. Next All question. Right. So, what is the favorite podcast of yours that you're not on, and why? Uh, I've got two. Am I allowed to choose a tie here? You can do two. All right. Uh, first, it's got to be the A-Team, which is actually the first podcast I started listening to when I got back into Magic. Um, those guys, they have the perfect combination of spiky tournament stuff and humor, uh, and they've just got such great chemistry. You've got KYT, who's the, the silent assassin, as some random dude named him, um, who's <laughs> the, the, the most serious player of the lot. You've got Smitty, who sounds like he spent half his life on a beach in Los Angeles, um, the, the mad deck brewer. You've got Jay Bush, who's just mad. And you've got Scotty Mack, who's sort of a little bit of everything, and they just mesh so well together. The four guys, as far as I know, didn't even know each other before they started casting together. Um, other than that, I'd have to go with one that might be a little off the beaten path, and that's the Avant Card Show. Hmm. And these guys just basically—that was—they actually introduced me to podcasting. I, I was on their episode thirty-one, maybe yes, you thirty-two. Were. Yeah. Oh. And they basically just turn the microphone on and talk nonsense for three hours. And it's great. That's yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. It's hilarious. And they have a woman. I mean, any podcast with a woman is worth listening to. There's that Horde of Notions one. It's pretty good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if, when these when guys... Get, when did we get Eric on the show? That's, oh, I haven't done my Twitter yet. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> If you if you are into casual magic, then then uh, avant garde is just it's hilarious because they'll go off on random tangents that no not tangent tangent but <laughs> that, that, are, that would appeal to anybody with an ounce of geek blood in them. And then every now and then they'll say, oh yeah, remember that game that we play with the cards and stuff. It's just hilarious. I agree, man. It's a great show. <laughs> go ahead, Corbin. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, no, I, wait, we I, never got your. Oh, yeah, you got them both, right? Yeah, yeah, A team in that one. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say the same thing. The A team is is great, and uh, you know, I remember when they were starting the show on Twitter, and it was kind of right at the time I was uh, getting involved in Twitter and, and that sort of thing. So I've been been following them, and I mean, they're great. And I've worked, uh, I, I've seen some of their deck lists Smitty works on. I love working on decks uh, that he sends around. So. I, I think it would be great. KYT's actually talked to me about coming on a couple of times, and I haven't haven't been able to yet, but I think it would be a lot of fun to get on there and just, uh, you know, talk magic with them. They're a lot of fun. Okay, <laughs> okay wait a minute, Tangent. Wait, 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 Tangent. Okay, wait, wait, wait. He's he's asking Corbin on? What? Okay. KYT, wait, 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 wait. Wait, KYT is asking Corbin on? He's getting all these other people on. I had to drive to Canada to get on for 30 seconds on the show. <laughs> Dude, and, and, I write for his website. I haven't been invited on. You know, oh, well, that's even better. And, and you know, Tangent, we bring him on the show all the time and let him do his silent work on our show, and yet neither one of us can get an invite on the show. What, what, what did he do right? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I know that. 
I'm telling you, I, I don't know. I, you know, it must be that whole, you know, down south thing you have going on. <laughs> yeah, living in the middle of the nowhere. And yeah. maybe it's, uh, uh, I, I do have family in Canada, so, uh, I got that going for me. Uh. I live in Canada! <laughs> 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 oh, jeez. So, so, Robert, are you gonna say what podcast you're into? Oh my! Oh yeah, God. like he can find two that he's not on. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. There's like three that you're not on, right? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll admit the ones that I really enjoy listening to is I, I love limited resources, uh, and I think that like these two weeks of the card show, the card previews are by far their best weeks, and they'll even admit to it. And then uh, going with Avon card show, I love the manpool. Man, those of guys. Course. Those guys are just hilarious. And, you know, they keep wanting me to get on the show, and they keep wanting to get on the show, but the problem is, is they do their show while my kids are still conscious. <laughs> kind of hard, yeah. hard to explain to the wife, yeah, I need to go because I want to do another show. Yeah, no. <laughs> I love the yeah. but there's just too much dead air in it for me sometimes. Sometimes there is, especially when they're playing games while they're recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of skim through those episodes. <laughs> I'm more into the content episodes. And also, I think I think one of the things that really make them good is that all four of them have known each other forever. And that's what really makes it fun. Because you can tell... Yeah, I agree. It's just like the four guys sitting at the table shooting the shit for, you know three hours, and getting it done. That's what my opinion is. But yes, since you listen all the time, uh, what is your opinion on your show since you listen to all of them? What is mine? Yeah, what are your two? Uh, well, okay, I'm going to throw out, like, the A-Team and uh, Limited Resources, because those are just too easy, and Monday Night Magic, that's just too easy. I like throwing out stuff that maybe not everyone's listening to. And I would, I would say Horse in Motion, but since I was supposed to be on there, uh, I think I gotta throw that one out too. Um, <laughs> even, even though it's got Jack. But, uh, anyway, so let's see, uh, let's go with MTG Explosion, Jack Thomas, and if he ever gets his ass in gear and puts out another episode, it would be nice. And, uh, I would say also Scrubland, man. I, I love listening to, to those guys. They're, they're, pretty damn funny, too. They're kind of like, uh, they kind of remind you of the old Magic School bus, and I dig that. You know, the funny thing is, uh, the funny thing is is that Scrublands, and I sent them an email, and they haven't gotten back to me yet. They're like the only broadcast that's not using Twitter. They're not using Twitter? No, not at all. Oh, wow. Why well, email them? So you could probably just do that. Uh, well, no, but the whole thing about it is, is think of how much the A-Team exploded when they all got out there on Twitter. When KYTs became a face on Twitter and Mike Flores grabbed onto it. Poof. I'm pretty sure that Chris is on, is on Twitter, man. Are you uh, sure? Yeah, I'm pretty positive. I mean, I'm not saying he's sitting all over with talk, but I'm pretty positive he's on, he's on. I'll, I'll double check and get you his ID if I if I have him on there. I think I do. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't matter. They're they're so good and, and everyone knows who they are anyway. It doesn't really it's 
it's more of just like they're really enjoyable, but they're not necessarily trying to uh, just self-promote as much as everyone else is. I I will tell you this: if they did self-promote a little more, they would be one of the podcasts that probably would be absorbed by another company. That's how they good can. I think. That's how good I think they can be. You know what I'm saying? Because they're they are. Basically, if you want straight standard talk, they're the podcast to listen to. Period. You don't want to listen to Monday Night Magic because we're 90% BS and 10% magic. You know, you don't want to listen to Man Screwed because we're answering questions. We're not talking a whole hell of a lot about standard. You don't listen to A Team because, well, they're all over the map. You know what I'm saying? You you want them. Yeah, uh, they. I think they're, they, they've got a nice combination between straight standard strategy talk and we want to be like Mike Flores. I mean, I was listening to them, and they, they were talking about the worst deck of the week, and they had Ali Entrazi's uh, Architect Blue, and I think it was D-Cell was just saying, this deck's horrible, why would anyone want to play this? I'm like, yeah, you know, the guy just top-aided SCG open, and, and you're going to tell him his deck's horrible and you'd never play it. Sounds great to me, man. so hilarious, though, man, because he oh, yeah. will not, like, stop. No matter what anyone else says, everyone will be against him, and he will still keep going about it. It's awesome. He was trying to convince people, last episode I heard, that Sorcerer's Strongbox was a better play than Lead the Stampede in an elf deck. <laughs> yeah, I know that was awesome. <laughs> We're not always saying that they're right. <laughs> But what we, are saying, what we are saying is they're willing to go out there and stick their neck out on the line and take chances where a lot of podcasts will just kind of play it safe. You know what I'm saying? Well, well that's, yeah. That's what makes that's them different. That's why they're exactly Magic School Bus, man. I mean, like, literally, that is what Magic School Bus was, was the main host was, like, like P. Sale is, and he just would, like, say a bunch of BS, he'd say what's on his mind, and a lot of times he was full of shit, and he'd even admit, hey, I'm not that good, like, I'm okay, I'm pretty good, I'm better than the average scrub, but I'm not that good, he's not as good as the other people that are there, but he'll still just yap and, and tell them that they're wrong about everything, and that's kind of the way, but he just makes us all, he's a good personality for the cast, so. Yeah, if they only could play Magic better and go further in day two than they did, that would be... That would be so helpful. Uh, you know, I swear. You know? Uh, all right. Yeah, you think we've kissed everyone else's ass enough now? Yeah, I think we have. No, no one kisses our ass, though, but that's okay. We're, we're down with that. We're down with that. We're, we're gonna, actually, we're going to have Corbin bring this up, because I believe you're the one who brought this on up. For next yeah, week. we've got uh, John Medina has compiled a tactical trade team document for uh, nationals and strategies for cards to pick up, I guess. And he's trying to, I guess he has a team of traders going to uh, expand his influence. So, uh, you know, I see, you know, he obviously knows how to grab grab, uh, grab a headline, grab people's attention with something like this. Um, but I'm not sure it's a great idea. What do you guys think? I, I'm scared uh, by this. Are you? Well, here's the thing. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Medina and what he's done to come from basically absolutely nowhere 
to becoming this guy that is on two podcasts, is all over Twitter, has people begging him to follow them. He's made himself into a name. But by doing this, he's basically make, stopping being a name, and he's turned himself into a business. And there are already people questioning his morals and his ethics. And if he's sending, essentially, a team of sharks onto the floor at, at U.S. Nationals or at Gen Con to try and basically get people to give cards up for less than they're worth, there's no way that ends well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my thing is, like, I, I like Medina, and I follow his stuff, and, you know, I do... Uh, you know, I trade for value, and I write about financial stuff every week. Um, and, you know, as far as his, his morals and his ethics go, you know, I have I have some respect for him there. You know, I think he, uh, like, he doesn't just actively come out and just lie to people about their cards and, and, and you know, just rip them off. Um, but I think it's really dangerous when you put something like this out there and you have, you know, whether it's two or three people or four or five people, whatever he has, out there basically representing him. That's a lot of people he's putting his credibility onto uh, out there trading. Like, you know, there's a lot of ways to get burned on this. My only thought on this is, could this Medina be just giving this, giving a line of crap with this? Do you know what I'm saying? Saying this to see how much, how much it controversy it draws and then not even be doing it. I think that's a possibility just because of what he was saying on Twitter and what he was talking about. And then he's like, just so everyone knows, the TGT is not up for sale. So, you know, it's like, well, okay, so are you being serious or is this another time when you're just BSing people or what? Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably doing it. Like, you know, I think it's happening. I just, it also seems like, is his insight into what cards to pick up that weekend just so good? Like, why are these people doing this thing with him instead of going out there on their own? You know, and right. you know he's he's great at he's great at you know figuring out what cards to pick up and so forth. But pretty much anybody who would be good enough to do this for him can do that themselves. You know, so I'm just not sure what they're getting out of it or what he's getting out of it. I mean, is he getting a cut of what they're trading? Are they trading his cards? You know, I just... Like, I think... I think he is doing it. I'm just not sure what he's getting out of this besides attention. Like, it, it, it's, it is... You know, obviously we're here talking about it. A lot of people are going to know about it. You know, I'm not sure what it does for his bottom line or his reputation. <sighs> I don't know. This is a... It's a very sketchy ground you go on when it comes to this only because if it works great you know i mean this is wonderful i mean it'll do great things for him but the problem is is like you said when does it become the point of are we crossing lines with this that we shouldn't but the problem yeah. is who, who knows how do we know we have this hasn't been done before and just medina has just been open enough to talk about it well, that yeah. kind of puts it into a sort of, uh, and that this is a kind of a tenuous line of, the, of a Michael Posge situation, where he basically did something that is an accepted practice without being blatant about it, but because nobody really knew that it was an accepted practice, nobody cared. 
So if this is an accepted practice and people who do prospect, people like Ben Blyweiss and all the other financial guys, if this is something that they do, nobody has ever publicized it on Twitter before. I mean, what Medina's done here is essentially created a whole ton of attention for this TTT, and he's got people asking him to see it, and he's shown snippets of it to people. He's basically created a, a Ferrari about something that may or may not exist. So at this point, even if it doesn't, the fact that it might exist or that it was proposed to have existed has already raised questions about whether or not it's moral. Yeah, and why would you put that out there until after the fact? Like, if you were really going to do something like this, like, if you were going to do it, if you're going to talk about it, do whatever, but if you were really going to do this, why would you say it beforehand? seems like any time anyone saw anyone that they thought might be a part of this, they just run. Well, I mean, the thing is, I, I think this sort of thing probably has gone in in the past, where, you know, a group of, of like-minded people get together, and, uh, you know, they, they talk about what they are trying to do, and then they go out and do it. Um you know, it's his, his putting it together and, and calling it TTT, which I am now officially renaming to the T-Cubed. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, it'll be interesting, I guess. I don't think it's anything new. I think it's new that he is talking about it. Well, guys, I'm going to go to the next subject, which is a little more lighter, but definitely interesting on my part. This is where I need your answers from. I did an interview with Paolo. And people listened to it, and people tweeted him asking him, why didn't I ask him about his love life? And Paulo said he was surprised that I didn't. And is that an okay question to ask somebody in an interview? Uh, uh, you might want to give him a heads up beforehand, you know, I, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially when you do, uh, you know, interviews where you are more... Uh, you know, you're interviewing the person rather than interviewing their knowledge of magic, if that makes sense. You're not just talking tech with them. You're not talking new decks. Uh, you're doing a personal interview with them. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It is, uh, you know, you should probably give them a heads up beforehand. Chris? Um, I don't know where I come down on this one, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it seems a perfectly legitimate question as long as you don't start getting into the personal stuff. I mean, asking someone about their love life and asking them to give you details is, is, are two completely different things. And, I mean, it, it's been kind of a standing joke on Twitter recently anyway. Um, right. A bit, a bit like the, the standing joke about Jack and Adina and the fan fiction that's being written. And what I am I missing from this? Oh, uh, well, that's where Jack is, don't you know? He's gone to see Adina. Allegedly, I, I don't know. Andrew, <laughs> but Andrew, is, Jack, is Jack allowed to see women? <laughs> did we let him? Did we let him go see women? I thought that was not in his contract. Oh, I think we're in trouble. Have, have we lost tangent? I think we lost tangent. I think we lost him. But you know what? I have someone that that needs to fill a spot right now, and his line's busy. Of course. You're not done yet. <laughs> Bum. Okay, because one of the people that we wanted to bring up earlier is getting done with his podcast, and I was going to sneak him in. Did we actually lose him, lose him? Yeah, we lost him. He's off the phone. Okay. The reason why I find it personally difficult to ask questions like that. Now, I have no problem 
asking someone if they're married, hey, how how do you handle the fact of being, you know, a husband and doing the road schedules that you do and things like that. But it's never, I just think, to me, the kind of interview I'm trying to give, I'm not trying to go that direction. Right. And, and you know, I, I don't know how many Magic players care about Paolo's love life either, yeah. you know, so... Now, 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 Brian Kibler, when we get him on, you know, I, <laughs> I may ask him about being the sexiest man in magic, but, you know, that's only just because everybody does it to him whenever they see him. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, it's more of a known thing. And, and you know, uh, like Chris was saying, it, it, you can ask him about it, you know, maybe. I don't see why anybody would care to know details, why they would want to talk about details or anything too in-depth, you know, on a podcast, but, you know. I, I just, like I said, I just have, I just have a real issue with that, and I don't know. You know, you can, you can look at whatever way you want. I mean, I am all into feedback on the Meta Magic, and whatever feedback you want to give, I really appreciate. But I want to get you into their lives. I don't want to get you in to their lives. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, I want people to be able to go up to a perfect example uh, with with Glenn Jones. That when they see him in an SCG event, when he's working on making sure everything's working, they come to him and go, wow, Glenn, I didn't realize you worked all those crazy hours and that you don't really care much about sleep and things like that. That I'm okay with people asking, but I don't want to say, so Glenn, why are you going out with this person? It's like, no, I don't want that. Yeah, and you know, like, uh, you're talking about Paulo, I think a lot of people would be interested to hear, like, the uh, the details of how he, you know, what it's like to, to be such a high-level Magic player, uh, you know, living where he does, you know, so cut off, uh, you know, from a lot of the people, you know, he plays with and tests with, you know, I think that's the kind of details, uh, you know, for somebody's personal life that they, they care about more than, you know, their love life, so. I, put, I did put him on the spot about that, about, you know, how difficult it is and the travel and things like that and the expanded schedule and right and I put them on the spot with that stuff so that way I can feel like I do that but otherwise I don't think that's I don't think that's my role I'm not TMZ I, I guess I would, <laughs> I guess uh, and of course I don't want to be compared to Barbara Walters either but I mean, you know what I'm saying I want to be informative I don't want to be you know I don't need to be Dirt, dirt magazine. That's just that's just not something that fits me or fits my style at all. Right. All right. I think we are down to our last thing because we are actually remarkably. I say this all the time in other packs. We're actually over an hour now, which is good. I want to keep it like right about an hour. And you guys did great tonight by keeping the content flowing. We have the it looks like the expansion the gps will cause some pros not to play a lot and then due to real life jobs is this going to be good or is this going to be bad for the grand prix circuit i, I i'm a fan of what they they've done to make the changes here you know I, I see what they were doing before where they wanted uh to make the pro tour a big event for everybody uh you know make it a big weekend um but i i, I the Pro Tour just wasn't accessible to everybody, you know, and it's around the world. So you maybe get one or two in the United States a year, and if you're not close by them, it just does nothing for you. Whereas if you add a lot of GPs, you you get the tournaments closer to a lot of people. And if 
the fact that a lot of pros can't make it to them, um, you know, I think that's that doesn't hurt. That's fine for the game, you know, unless a player, you know, really wants to make a run at like player of the year, and they there's too many GPs to go to. That can be rough, um, but I think it's good for the Magic community, like that whole. Not even second tier, but you know, just like the average, the the average Magic player, the PTQ grinder who wants to go to a GP, you know, I think adding more of them where they can go and you know have a good run, and there being less pros is probably good for the game as a whole. Chris, yeah, like to me, the idea of running the more GPs was to get more people involved, to be to to bring more GPs in because they were getting rid of a lot of the like with the changes to the WPN last year and such. I would have thought that by now somebody would have tried to go back to making a living off the Grand Prix circuit again. I, there used to be people when I was big into Magic and trying to get on the Pro Tour myself, yeah, that went down well, um, who literally lived on the Pro Tour. And it, it was viable if you were good. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a lot harder today than it would have been even five years ago. It's definitely a lot harder, but with people like Jerry T preferring to play Star City games than Grand Prix, like if he has a choice to start the season, he was going to the, to the SCG stuff. Right. And if there are 40 Grand Prix next year, it's going to be a lot easier to get to 15 of them without having to fly somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good for getting more people out. But honestly, like, especially for a player like Jerry, the uh, the EV on a on a Star City game event is just higher, you know, because he has to play nine rounds with two buys to top eight, and uh, as opposed to playing, you know, fifteen rounds with three buys at the most, you know, at a at a GP, and the level of competition at a GP I think is higher than a. You want, especially once you get into day two, is probably higher than what you would face on average at a Star City Games event. Um, and the price payouts are, are not that different. And that's the, the thing is, is, you know, once you calculate everything uh, a player like that gets from a Star City, attending a Star City's uh, weekend, it really, you know, outpaces the GP because he has two shots at top eighting, like, tournaments. He, you know, he only has to go five or six rounds, and then draw in because he has two buys already. So, you know, the the value on GPs is not enough, I think, to, to justify, you know, making the circuit and trying to make a living off of it. I just find it, I just find it that what you're going to get is you're going to get the grinders that are currently doing the SCG tour to do the same thing on the GP tour and they're the people that are going to be involved with Player of the Year race, that because they attended 20 out of 22 tournaments and grinded enough points to qualify to win for this, and yet you're going to see people like like Luis, like Brian Kibler, like uh, Paul Reitzel. Uh, the list goes on and on of people that have real jobs, that aren't going to be at all these tournaments. And you're going to be having a diluted field. And I almost think it might get to the... Well, there's no way Apollo's making 30 tournaments a year. Right. You're, you're yeah. talking about diluting the field, and are you turning this into 
an advanced Star City Games event. I, mean, I think I that's entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that is not far from what it, it could be. You know, it's just a, a bigger Star City Games event. But you, you know, from Wizard's standpoint, that's that's not a bad thing. You know, um, and, and for the average player, I don't think that's a bad thing. It gives them. Uh, you know, another another tournament they can go to that that isn't the Pro Tour. Um, that's still you know a, a big name tournament. You know, it, it's it, it, I can see how it can dilute the field and be unfortunate for you know some of the the bigger name pros, but those guys care a lot more about the Pro Tour than they do about GPs, anyways. But they have to qualify for the Pro Tour, and will the point system change so much? That it prevents some of these people from qualifying in the pro tour. I don't think so. I think the I think the top level pros who, you know, if we separate the the pros and then the the people who are grinding these events right now, um, I, I think that it, it's good for the game as a whole because it gets more people in, and I think that you know the top pros are are not going to be. It's so disadvantaged by the expansion to to really hurt their careers. I don't know. I just I don't. I just I really like the fact that there was a smaller amount, so everyone meant more. It's kind of like turning football. If you turn football from sixteen games to thirty, right? Would it have the same meaning as it did with sixteen? And I am I'm thinking that's what's going to happen with the GPs. Is they're going to turn into less meaning. You're not going to get the players. You're definitely not going to get all the overseas players coming all the time. And we joked about Paulo, but you think of you think of all the the grinders from Japan that come to every tournament. And before they got banned, you know, you saw Wapatapa at Dallas. Right. You're basically telling these people. You're gonna need like five jobs to be able to afford to keep flying back and forth from all these tournaments. That's that's true. I, and I if mean, you go over and, and go O three and drop, even with two buys. Yeah, you know, you've just wasted a few thousand bucks and a weekend. And if you have to do it week after week after week after week, one of the nice things that Conley's even talked about is the fact there's time in between these events that you can get ready to change for something else like that. And it's not like Conley's an old man or anything like that, but I think there's there's a, a mental... There's got to be a mental wear and tear if you are flying and going to a tournament, really turn around, coming back home, unpacking your bags, loading them, washing, doing wash, staying home for a day, turning around, leaving on another airplane to head to whatever tournament's next. Right. You know, and these are 10-plus round tournaments. Day one. Yeah. I don't know, guys. I just, I as much as I would love to say that's a really good thing, and it is for people, you know, Corbin, it's great for someone like you. And because you may be able to hit three or four or five next year that where you may have only gotten a one or two. Right. And that's great for someone like you. But I take a look at it from, I, I when I go to a GP, I want to see the best players. 
to be fair, so, like we we don't know what this is going to look like yet. We know what they they've said around forty Grand Prix, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't it entirely possible that they could have Grand Prix Paris and Grand Prix Columbus on the same weekend? Uh, oh. Then you almost want to make a separate European tour. We don't know that they won't. This is what I'm saying. Like, All we know is that they've increased the number. We don't know if they could be running simultaneous events so that the European players and the North American players can get in there. We don't know if they're going to send more up to Canada, please God. We don't know yet what they're doing. All we know is 40. Or all we know is more Pro Tours and that the word private is involved, whatever that means. Like, we have such scant details right now. Okay, well, then I'm going to then... I'm going to go to my last question that was actually on last week's show that never made it through. If KYT wins Canadian Nationals and qualifies to be on the Canadian national team that goes to Worlds, <laughs> is Canadian Magic dead? Absolutely, because that means he's gone through me. <laughs> <laughs> I think, in all honesty, if I manage to grind into Nationals, and I sit down at the finals table opposite KYT, I think I'd have to scoop. Well, you both you both be, right? So. Exactly. I would just have to scoop just so that we could say that Canadian Magic was dead. Kevin? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, it would be great for the podcast, would it not? <laughs> it would be... Uh, I wouldn't call it. I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen KYT play. I don't know how good he is. You know, he may just be a okay, maybe a pro. Let me run. Let me run this by you. When I played, when we played it at Grand Prix Toronto, Seal, okay? okay, which I think is outside a block, one of the most difficult formats to play. He mm-hmm. won outs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And me, who plays not at all, if I would have won my last match, could have squeezed into day two with an X2. Okay? I don't consider myself anywhere near the quality of caliber player that would take to make an X2, a a day two at any Grand Prix. I don't. I think I could pilot the right deck really well, but I don't consider myself anywhere near the capability to do that. And he... One out at a tournament. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just. Saying. I'm just saying. So so no, you have to stop it. No, you don't scoop to him. You look at him and saying, "I'm beating you because I need to save Canadian Magic. I'm trying to save it from going into oblivion." You know, I, I'm shocked that we have mentioned KYT so many times and nobody has said it yet. What? Well, the only way to stop KYT is if everyone is metagaming against each other because we <laughs> saw each other's decks. <laughs> oh, my God. No, we can't give him that much credit. We can't give him that much credit. But on that note, guys, we've been recording for, oh, my God, over an hour and 20 minutes. Um, we try to keep this an hour, but thank God you guys kept the topics rolling, and I greatly appreciate that. A tangent again, you know, he lost us. He's driving his hour and 30 minutes back home to an apartment in the middle of nowhere, from what I understand. (laughs) And let's have you guys 
give yourselves your final promotion. Chris, you're on, I'm sorry, what was Tangent calling that show? Uh, I think he was calling it Whores of Nations or something. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, the, the correct name is Horde of Notions, uh, which is normally up on MTG Cast every Monday, although scheduling is a bit off at the moment. Uh, last one went up today. You can also see me writing on uh, Mana Deprived. I mostly write about Commander, but uh, every now and then I'll throw in a, a meta column up there just for the want of a better word. And you can find me on Twitter at Lance Delicious, L-A-N-S-D-E-L-L-I-C-I-O-U-S. Good job, Chris. I mean, I mean good job, Eric. Sorry. <laughs> Corbin, where can, where can they find you? Uh, I'm Cor- Corbin Hostler. You can find me on, on Twitter, uh, chostler 88 uh, And I write for, uh, for Quiet Speculation. I write for uh, financial stuff over there. And, and, and as you will know after the Kelly Reedy I- interview, you want to read his stuff on Quiet Speculation. He will not be being fired anytime soon. That is good. Yes, so you know. And I am Robert. You can hear me on, oh my god, let's see, uh, Metamagic, this podcast, Hardcast. I have to cover for Tom on Monday Night Magic sometimes. Uh, I'm desperately still trying to get on the Mana Pool, but they, again, they're recording now which really doesn't help. Uh, otherwise, outside of that, you can find me on Twitter under the Beamy. Uh, for Tangent, his uh, ID is TangentDYN. And yes, gentlemen, he is trying to be competitive again. So this time, I think he's actually going to take it more seriously than he did last time. When he first started it, it was more of the, yeah, I know I can do this. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Now I think he's actually refocused and actually is going to take it seriously this time. I don't think he's screwing around this time. So I joked with him today. We were talking about the show beforehand, and I said, well, next time I'm at a GP, I better be covering you playing. And he laughed, and he goes, well, at this rate, with the way I'm playing, you never know one day I might actually be there. So, you know. But on that note, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, gentlemen, say goodbye. We are going to sign off. Good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening, guys. All right. Turn.